It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. We are living in an overstimulated world, and the resulting stress impacts our physical and mental health. It can stand in the way of our happiness. Joining us today to discuss how we can retrain our brain and break the stress-anxiety cycle is Dr. Frank Lawless, a renowned psychologist, researcher, and counselor. Dr. Lawless is the co-founder of the Lawless and Peavy PNP Centers for Psychoneurological Change. He is a chief content advisor for The Dr. Phil Show and is the author of many books, including Retraining the Brain, A 45-Day Plan to Conquer Stress and Anxiety. Welcome, Dr. Lawless. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for asking me. I look forward to uh, having some very meaningful conversation about this very important topic. And as do I, doctor, because this is something that is very close to my heart because it's actually something that I experienced in a very profound way in my life. And in your book, A 45-Day Plan to Conquer Stress and Anxiety, you report that it's estimated that more than 90% of people will have a bout with depression at some point in their life, and that 70% of adults say they experience anxiety daily. Those are alarming statistics, doctor. What do you believe is happening today that is causing these mental health issues? Well, for one thing, our uh, timing is all off. In the earlier days of mankind, we usually went by the sun so that we would deal with uh, problems of the day while the sun is up, and then uh, consequently, when the sun was down, we would have a rest period, a restoration period. So what we have now is with the discovery of electricity and uh, the modern conveniences, we now work probably closer to 24-7. So we have fewer and fewer hours to restore ourselves. And then, of course, the bigger problem is that we don't get the important resolutions of conflict and stress through our sleep. We have enormous problems with regard to sleep disorders. So doctor, in a perfect world, how should a quote-unquote normal brain work? What would be considered optimal brain function? Well, I have a particular word that I like to use. That's called rhythm, rhythm balance. Uh, And that is where Uh, various uh, parts of your body that have rhythms such as heartbeat and breathing and spinal fluid circulation and uh, uh, brain patterns all work in synchronicity so that uh, it's the variability uh, that uh, really is healthy so we don't stick in one particular status forever in other words we we have uh, certain brain patterns that we use when we're dealing with uh, serious problems or problem solving and relationship uh, dealing. And then we have certain kinds of rest cycles that our brain is basically in in a rest issue. So what I see as the disharmony is the lack of rhythmic coordination uh, so that even within your brain, there are certain parts of your brain that's going fast in certain parts of the brain that's going slow. 
So you have a lot of missing connections or coordination uh, within yourself. You're not very effective in terms of uh, dealing with the present problem because you are uh, you don't have all your, uh, what we call maybe senses around you that can help you. There was an interesting study that uh, often referred to that's called Secrets of Champions. And in that particular study, they studied the what we call the sympathetic and the uh, parasympathetic systems of the body and the mind. Uh, sympathetic uh, stages has to do with basically being aroused, having high levels of coordination, high, high levels of reactivity. And in, these, in this state, you, your heart rate is going fast, your eyes are dilated, you're basically very uh, on key in terms of where to focus your attention. Uh, and parasympathetic is the rest state, uh, where you basically rest in a resting state. Your, your brain is what we call in the alpha state, and uh, you're basically refreshing yourself. And what we find is that, that if you take the top 1% of athletes and military officers uh, that the study employed uh, and measured their sympathetic and parasympathetic systems, what they found is that uh, pretty much all of them relied on a primarily parasympathetic level uh, with uh, some levels of sympathetic system. Uh, what's important about this is they were all very well coordinated. So they had this, uh, they employed both the restorative state as well as having some focus on the problem. Uh, and this is also true for other kind of military exercises. So basically you have these kinds of activities that you can employ that will restore your mental and physical activity. So Dr. Lawless, when the rhythm is off and, and it's not in sync, is the result what you write about something that you coined a stress storm? Is that what would happen? And, and if so, what is a stress storm? Well, it's basically, as you said, uh, it's a disharmony. It's a disharmony within the body, and uh, you have a uh, state of fear, and, and that's what your brain is focusing on, and it's not allowing you to have the uh, sense of enjoyment uh, and uh, re restoration that we all need on, on a daily basis. And so this is something that's very physical that's occurring in the brain, because I know when someone goes through... Um, what they may call an anxiety attack or an episode of of um, being stressed out, they tend to beat themselves up because they think it's something that they have a lot more control over in an immediate way. But this is something really physical that's happening, isn't it? They're not doing something wrong. Uh, exactly. I, I like the way you express that. It's, it is a physical reaction at the brain level that uh, radiates or uh, goes down throughout the body. And so you have a total reaction of stress, and it is mostly physical in that sense of the word. Basically something that uh, happens normally, and uh, consequently you have some uh, way of, of dealing and managing it. And so, Doctor, when this happens, the result can be something as what you call a usual mental lockup. What is it that's happening that keeps us stuck that locks us up mentally? Well, it has a lot to do with what we're talking about, and that is that 
you, there's a part in your brain that's called a cingulate gyrus, for example. And this is kind of a coordinator within your brain. And so what happens when you get overwhelmed, the brain basically starts uh, just uh, going around in circles without reaching any kind of uh, solution. So it's a state of anxiety, uh, but it has specific kinds of dynamics that uh, interferes with your ability to uh, think outside the box, as we say, and find problem-solving approaches. So when we're living in this stressed-out state or we're experiencing these mental lockups or stress storms, it isn't just an emotional problem, is it? I mean, things can happen to our body on a physical level that can lead to various types of diseases, can't they? Absolutely, and this is especially true for nutrition. Uh, let me plug uh, a part of that in, in the sense that uh, our food uh, creates certain kinds of metabolism in our brain. For example, I'm a big proponent of, uh, of anti-sugar. Sugar is poison to our brain, and so consequently when we consume too much sugar, we actually are destroying part of our brain cells, and just like uh, alcohol and other kinds of drugs, so what happens is that basically we, we have less restorative powers in our brain and consequently uh, can deteriorate. Doctor, I'm middle age, and when I was growing up in science class, we were basically taught that your brain is set and then as you age, it starts to deteriorate and or if it's damaged, that there really wasn't a whole lot that could be done about it. But now... Science is showing that the brain is not permanently hardwired and that it can change. So can you explain to us what this science says about neuroplasticity and how we can benefit from this research? Why is this so exciting? Well, this is very exciting because, like you said, up until about 20 years so years ago, uh, we considered when the brain it was injured, it couldn't repair itself. But that is absolutely not true. It can repair itself, and it has this amazing ability of having other channels that we can uh, use in our brain to basically uh, do the same thing. For example, uh, people who have strokes and have part of their brains destroyed uh, can uh, have secondary uh, avenues for speech and they can learn how to speak again. They can learn how to walk again. And so this plasticity uh, manifests itself throughout life. Uh, there is a repair mechanism that, uh, that we can influence. Although we consider it new news, this is something that actually the ancient uh, medicine people used to uh, engage. So, Doctor, for someone who's experienced some type of a, a mental health issue, in order for real change to occur, what has to happen? How can we create those new pathways? Well, uh, a lot of these circuits uh, of repair uh, are old, and a lot of them are brand new. For example, uh, we uh, I have to tell you a short story here. Uh, I was... Uh, clinical uh, professor of orthopedic surgery for 12 years at Southwestern Medical School, and my specialty was pain management. And uh, I tried many avenues of helping these people who were failures uh, from surgery and other kinds of medical technology. And I went to a, a workshop uh, for shamanism. When I asked about uh, the uh, management of pain, 
they told me to beat a drum. Now, that sounds really ridiculous, mm-hmm. but I tried it, and it had a profound effect on, on um, pain problems. So being a scientist, I wanted to know why. Why would this simple technique make a big difference? And what I found is that uh, the beating of the drum in this particular tempo made a big difference in the brain patterns and brain mechanisms. The brain relaxed and, and apparently induced some what we call endorphin flow, which are uh, internal pain modulators. And so what uh, happens is that uh, this old ancient technique kind of started a, a ball rolling down the hill, you might say, and uh, we, we found that uh, uh, sound uh, had a particular important uh, impression on the brain. And so from there we start looking at where do these sounds come from, and one of the uh, important discoveries that I made was that much of it had to do with music, or rather the underlying rhythm of music. And so that started a whole line of research in terms of what rhythms produced what changes in the brain. We find that smells, aromas, also will excite the brain and actually uh, create different uh, patterns. We find that uh, visual symbols also can can help uh, uh, rhythm movement, like in dance and uh, yoga movement and so forth like that will also change the brain. So there's a lot of of influence that we can do uh, in our daily lives to make a huge difference in terms of our brain and consequently our whole body functions. Doctor, in your book, you shared a story about a woman who had a traumatic experience in her life and, and she went into what you defined as a mental lockup. She was stuck. And so many of us experience those types of things. We have a trigger that holds us back. It keeps us stuck in place. And this woman, no matter how hard she tried to break it, she wasn't able to until one day she did something so completely different, you know, something that you would never think she would do. How was this person able to go from being locked down to doing something completely out of character outside of her comfort zone? And, and I ask that because there are so many people today that are stuck and, you know, how can they go from being locked down and, and held down and stuck to taking that leap to doing something that can change their life? Well, you ask a very fascinating question because that's kind of the challenge that we all face is how do we get unstuck and um, how do we get out of our rhythm far enough to begin to uh, find new pleasures and new excitement and basically change our life. And uh, we see that every day. On the other, on the other hand, it's, it's still a phenomenon that we, we can't really explain other than there is a uh, decision at one level of, of changing the patterns of our, of our brain. Uh, and we often teach these uh, uh, to our patients such that they can then begin to uh, discover uh, getting out of their, out of their closet, we say, and begin to experience life. For example, there's some some breathing techniques that are very profound for a lot of people. One has to do with uh, what I call alternate nostril breathing, where you uh, spend some time every day 
just breathing through one nostril and then uh, changing it to the other one. And what we what we discovered on the EEG is that this tends to initiate some very active repatterning of your brain uh, from your left on your right, uh, which would probably infer that there's some new creative way of of dealing with uh, with other uh, problems that come up. Your brain basically gives you new uh, gifts where you can learn how to deal with stress in creative ways. Uh, there's also some ways of, uh, like I said, of changing your diet. Just changing your diet will make you think differently, will give you much more optimism, uh, for example, and consequently be able to break out of old patterns. Uh, and then there's uh, exercises, doing uh, long walks, uh, where you basically be able to uh, uh, get out in nature, because nature has its own way of teaching you new ways of dealing with life and perceiving your gifts. So there's several avenues, and some are easier than others for people. Some of these exercises that can really be helpful in how uh, a person like this woman can break out of her shell. It sounds like you take a, a much more natural approach to healing. And for the average person in general, obviously there are cases outside of what I'm asking, but in general, when someone experiences a mental health issue and goes to the doctor, do you think that medications are being prescribed too readily? Well, you, you hit on a real important topic in my uh, in my thoughts, because this is a real problem that we have. Let me give you an example. The uh, symptoms of nearly all problems have to do with attention. And so if you're depressed, you, soon, you lose a lot of your ability to focus and have attention. This is also very, very important in terms of anxiety. Yet one of the major features of, of dealing with especially childhood attentional deficit disorder is using drugs, and I think that that is overdiagnosed about 75% of the time because attention issues have to do with, like I said, nearly every other diagnosis in the book. So what is really, and with children, you don't know the uh, effects of that. For example, uh, I've read one study in which the the use of Ritalin uh, in early uh, children five years old, actually uh, younger than 23, was basically detrimental to the overall development developmental of the brain. So I think for especially when children that uh, the use of medications that we have no notion of of the after effects will have, and in these uh, very very precious years of development, can really have some detrimental effects. So. I would caution uh, parents uh, uh, to try some of these more naturalistic approaches rather than going to the pill. We have technology today that really, it, it shows us what's happening within the brain. And when a person goes to the doctor, when they're experiencing a mental health issue, what are some of the tests that should be done? Are scans an important part of making a diagnosis? Well, scans for us, are a cornerstone of, of what we uh, do to help 
determine what's going on in the person. Now, you cannot use scans alone to diagnose a person because the the brain dynamics can help you understand what's going on, but you really can't uh, make a diagnosis strictly on that. But I think that what we find, especially in with regard to the EEG findings, is that uh, we can then be able to differentiate the treatment programs. For example, if you have a person that comes in and they com- they're complaining of depression, uh, they may have a number of different kinds of brain scans that explain that. For example, uh, in one, one pattern uh, that we see a lot is where you have asymmetry where one part, where the right part of the brain is more active or less active than the other side. So uh, in that situation, we want to create exercises and various kinds of stimulation that will even up those uh, areas. In another one, uh, another situation in which uh, you're dealing with uh, uh, issues with regard to uh, depression, you, you may want to look at uh, issues uh, that have to do with just generally low levels of activity across all the brain. And that's a situation that uh, uh, would probably need some issues uh, of uh, using some levels of medication for stimulation. The book is Retraining the Brain, a 45-day plan to conquer stress and anxiety. If you'd like to get more information about Dr. Lawless and his work, you can visit franklawless.com. Doctor, thank you so much for spending time with us. As I said in the beginning, the statistics are alarming and the information that you shared with us can be life-changing. So thank you for being here and thank you for doing such important work. Well, I sure appreciate that, Joan, and uh, uh, good luck to everybody out there. This is Conversations with Joan. Until next time, thanks for tuning in.